Good morning. Good afternoon. Or good evening. If it's your first time listening, my name is Emil Daniel. If you're a returning customer, well, my name's still Aaron Matthews. And this is the Entertain Us podcast. With an exclamation mark, because we're exciting. But you already knew that. And we're excited to be here to talk all about the world of entertainment. If you're someone that's curious about the ins and the outs of the entertainment industry, or just like to have a good time, this podcast is for you. Who? You. You. And you. You. On this week's episode, we're here with... Absolutely no one. <laughs> yeah, we're here with ourselves. It's literally just us. So, it's uh, a little sad, but we're still happy. Hell yeah. And hopefully we can make all of you happy too, because we're going to speak today about some amazing cities and places where we've both been in the past month. Now, you have been in... I went to New York. NYC. Yeah, chilling, you know, the Big Apple. The Big Apple. City that never sleeps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Times Square. Woo! Keep naming monuments. Let's see how long you can go. (laughs) (laughs) Empire State Building. Keep going. Let's do 10 more. Uh, yeah, I give up. And we have been your tour guides this morning. Um, Now, I actually traveled to Israel. I went with a charity, and we did a whole bunch of hospitals and schools. We'll speak about that a little bit. And I went to Orlando. We went on a cruise out of Orlando, and then we went to Disney World and Universal. So I thought it'd be pretty fun to speak about the different shows and the different entertainment I saw in each theme park. So basically, you just escaped Canadian winter. Oh, any any way I can and any chance I can get. I hate it. So, both me and you, Emil, have been traveling around. We've both been in different cities. Now, let's just speak a little bit about New York. Oh, yeah. So, New York was fun. I was there with, like, a group of people that just, like, it was, like, a subsidized kind of trip. We did a program. And part of the program is they had an illusionist, well, magician come in. This guy's name was um, David Blatt. Cool guy in New York. Okay, awesome. Yeah. uh, And he showed a lot of tricks. And it was really interesting for me because... I normally don't get to see a private show from the audience perspective. Like, normally when I'm at a magic show, I'm in, like, a big audience. Yeah, so you're going to, like, the big theater shows, like a David Blaine yeah. sort of show. Or... Yeah, or, like, the Thrill Illusionists, you know, that yeah. kind of stuff. So it was really interesting to me. Uh, and seeing people my age react, because normally I do kid shows or, like, we'll do full-on, like, adult shows. But seeing, like, this teenage demographic kind of type thing... Uh, it's not something I experienced a lot. It's really interesting to me because I've had a few cases where, like, I perform for people my age and they just, like, don't vibe with it, you know? They're mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm too cool for magic. Obviously, it's not everyone. Like, a lot of people are like, oh, it's great. And, but, you know, you have your people. But, oh, just like anything. Yeah. You know, I'm too cool to go to the theater. I'm too cool to go to Broadway. Exactly. You know, you'd have a good time, most likely, if you went. But uh, it's, it's that fact that one. we're younger and you're growing up as a teenager, and you want to seem like you're tough, and yeah, I want to do my own thing. I'm going to explore the city. Yeah, ex- exactly. And for me, it was just it was just fun for once being the one in the crowd and not the one performing. Because don't get me wrong, I love performing, but you kind of lose perspective when you don't see enough of the shows at some point. So that was like something that I really like vibed with. And uh, what type of magic was he performing? I know there's tons of different types. Yeah, so he was doing mostly, like, mentalism-type things. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of like a book test where, like, he'd have someone get to a page and he predicted the word. He did um, a thing called a PK touch where he touches someone and the other person feels a touch. He had, like, two people up. Um, so it's a lot of things that I've seen before, but he had a good take on them. Like, he did some things that I've never seen before that were part of tricks that I've seen before. 
Mm-hmm. That makes sense to you. 100%. Uh, they, they say, you know, there's classics in magic that you'll see being reinvented all the time. And uh, I think this was a quote from David Williamson. He said, they're classics because they're the best. You're going to keep seeing them over and over yeah. again. Like a book test, you're going to see magicians do over and over again because it's such a strong piece of magic. But that's a good thing about seeing other magicians perform is you get their own takes exactly. on these different magic tricks. Yeah, it does get annoying, though, because people know you're the magician, and they're like, Yo, <laughs> How's it done? How's it done? Yeah, how's it done? Yo, do you know how he did it? And and you're like, maybe. And they're like, oh, you do. I'm like, am I going to say it? They're like, oh, but you're going to tell me. I'm like, no, I won't. It's just... I think that's an interesting thing, too. Um, Just thinking about, because we both mainly do kid shows, I'd say. We both do university shows. You know, I do yeah. killer shows. But when you're doing shows for kids, the fooling part isn't really so important. You want to do magic, right? Yeah. But it has to be more entertaining it has to be really fun but when you're doing a mentalism show you can really slow the pace down and focus on the fooling because i think with the older people like the teenagers how you're going to hook them into a magic show is by frying the brain yeah and so you're really fooling them so i think it it is very different from a teenager to a kid something just popped up into my mind now i know you do do university shows and your style is pretty dirty you have a lot of dirty jokes and yeah. humor like that so seeing another performer that's specific for teenagers and university students did you uh, did you learn anything from his show get any new insights uh, i don't want to say i didn't learn anything from the show like, there were a few things i took down in terms of notes but nothing that i would kind of implement into my show in terms of my co- in the terms of content mm-hmm. you know what i mean um because his sh- um it was a, like he's a, a practicing like re- religious Jew, like, he has Shabbos and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so his style is obviously way different from what I would do. Um, so he's a cleaner type of mentalist. Let's much say cleaner than, than my show. <laughs> so, but, like, he, he's... Are you saying he doesn't pull condoms out of girls' ears? Like you do in your show, Mr. Romeo? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That's pretty clean. That is called clean comedy. What's cleaner than a condom? A lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> than a clean condom. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, no, it was an overall fun experience. Um, New York was great. I was very sad that I couldn't go to any of the New York magic shops. There are two that I know of. I didn't get a chance. That, though, is an incentive for me to return. 100%. And go go do them. Make it a magic trip. Now, uh, I know New York is a much bigger city for magic than Toronto. So we can even uh, speak about just a little bit about the magic scene in each city. So in New York, I know they have a lot of weekly shows so there's magicians like a steve cohen who has his own theater right and does shows every week and then there's magicians like you know joshua J who will go out on broadway and do a run of shows right i know it's much bigger than in toronto now the past few years there's this great company in toronto the toronto magic company and they've been starting to produce a lot of their own magic shows so we're starting to get more magic in toronto but i think it's very interesting looking at two major cities i think you can very fairly put new york and toronto both up as major cities in their own countries yeah of course and it's really interesting to see how magic's been around so much longer in new york by magic i mean public shows than it has been in toronto and i think that's something that's starting to grow in this city and i I don't know if you definitely seen more magic in new york than me just by seeing one performer i haven't seen any shows in new york Uh, i performed in new york before but i haven't actually seen a magic show so why do you think, maybe you have maybe a little bit more insight than me on this, why do you think magic is so much bigger in New York than it is in Toronto? I think magic in America has just become much more mainstream than it used to be. Um, like, when you have a bigger population and then you have more people doing things, like you have more magi- more people getting into magic 50 years ago 
that are performing for 70 years or what, well, not 70, like, you know what I mean, for a long time. And then they reach a wider audience. In Canada, like, we have one-tenth of the population, you know, mm-hmm. of America, like, give or take. And so, actually, really interesting part of this program that I was doing is you stay with a host house, like, with a family. Mm-hmm. And their son is also a magician. Oh, that's really cool. So, they were like, they're like, oh, we've been hosting people for seven years, like, every year. And we've never had another magician. And so, he and I were, like, you know, exchanging. Jamming. Yeah, we're just jamming, exchanging secrets. Uh, I oh, mean, definitely magicians not. sharing secrets. I mean, you broke the code. I hope no one's listening to this. I I mean, exchanging ideas. There you go. Yeah, um, but like we're just like giving our own ideas, like how we perform, and it was just interesting to see, like, oh wow, I'm in a random place in a with a random family, and I found someone that shares the same hobby as me. That's funny. Hey, man, life keeps throwing magicians at you. Yeah. In high school, you co-opt here. I did co-op here. Well, to to be fair, I was like, "Hey, right, this is the p- closest place to school. It's a ten minute walk." Yeah, but still, but like, yeah, what are the chances that the closest place you could co-op oh, <laughs> is another magician? Like I mentioned all the time, everything happens. The universe like magic in your life. Yeah. Why do you think I played in RPG games? I was always a mage in RPG games. <laughs> As a kid, it was a sign. Was My favorite movie used to be Sorcerer's Apprentice with uh, was with Nick Cage. Nick Cage, oh, yeah. Oh my goodness! Ten How can you not love Nick Cage? Because uh, we won't get into it. <laughs> now let's. But be... how was? Yeah, Orlando. You went to Orlando. You did, but oh, you forgot to talk about the most important part of New York, Mister Emil. The monuments. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, Empire State Building. Oh yo, we were we were dodging side topic, but we were dodging traffic lights in New York. We were on a double decker tour bus. Okay. And like the thing is so high and the traffic lights are super low. So we literally were touching traffic lights and ducking. There was a sign that was about three inches from my head. It was pretty pretty sad. There's something so interesting about the stoplights. Since you're closer to them, they don't look so big. No. Another side topic, they don't look so big when you're driving on the street. But this these stoplights are huge. Like, if there's one on the ground beside you, these things are, like, three, four feet tall. Like, it went higher than, like, my waist. Yeah. Like, these stoplights are huge. Yeah, no, traffic lights are dangerous. Don't go on double-decker <laughs> tour buses. Unless you're wearing a helmet and yeah. protective goggles. You know, you know, it's not as dangerous, probably, false fact. Uh, cruise ships. I love your false fact there. Yeah. Pseudo facts. We call Emil here the king of transitions. The king of bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, I did go on a cruise. That was about a, a month ago. Uh, we went on a Royal Caribbean cruise and um, actually got to sit down with the um, the uh, the captain of the ship and That's the guy cool. who ran all the entertainment for the boat. So, uh, the first couple days, every single show we went to, I made it a point to try to see as much entertainment as I can. And the really great thing about these Royal Caribbean ships is they have tons and tons of entertainment. So we kept seeing the entertainment director, you know, come and speak at a lot of these shows that we were at. So uh, me and my dad, we went out, hang out with this guy for a while and just found out a lot about the ins and outs of getting into performing in cruise ships. Um, how they run the different shows and uh, how to get into that industry as a right. cruise ship performer. Uh, which we can speak about, and I think we will speak about on a full episode because there's so much to cover just how to get into a cruise ship. I know I am uh, going on to a couple cruise ships coming up next year, as well as some resorts, so that's really different from what I'm doing now. But I do want to talk to you guys just about the different things I saw on a ship and the different things. If, if you're thinking about yourself, 
getting away from your own city for a couple months or six months and going away on a cruise, I'm going to give you a little bit of an overview of the different types of jobs, roles, and performances you can do. So I think the first thing we saw when we got on the ship, this is all going to be from memory right now, was we saw a water show. Okay. So they had this little aqua theater on the main floor. So they had... Wait, wait. What's an aqua theater? An aqua theater. This was really cool. So it was uh, sort of like an auditorium. So you have the semi-circle seating. Okay. And it goes about six rows up. So there's six rows of a giant semicircle. And then as well, you got balconies. So you can watch from the balconies from the higher floors. Right. Or you can just stand and watch from around the amphitheater. So we see this floor and two diving boards... You know, about, let's say, 20 feet up. And then about, like, 80 feet up, we see two other high diving boards. The confusing part is, where's the water? Right. (laughs) So when the show starts, the floor actually dropped down. Huh. And it became water. So, like, you know, someone would be sitting on on the floor, and then they would just be, like, submerged in water. Like, the floor would drop. So they did a whole bunch of different things. Um, Like, what? They had... um, synchronized swimmers so they'd start laying down in a circle the, the the floor would drop and they would do synchronized swimming and this is the cool part about this show is they had a video playing before it started and it's mainly a diving show right so mm-hmm. they got i'm gonna say the cast was around 15 people yes. give or take five it's a big cast this is the cool thing about the cast right is every single performer on that cast except for two of them two of them were from the same city but everyone was from different countries and cities so it's just a super diverse cast. And I think that's a really cool thing about cruise ships. They sail the whole world. The ship we were on uh, was doing the Caribbean. But our uh, the lady who was taking care of our room told us it was going to Europe after that. Mm-hmm. So these boats go around the world so you get different performers from around the world. So it doesn't really matter where you are. It's a big accepting community. I think that's really different than like the fair industry in Canada where it's mostly Canadian and American performers. Right. But you get people from Spain and from every corner of Europe and from Asia when you go on these cruise ships. And I think that's really cool. Um, if you're a performer, I think that's just a great way to connect with people around the world. Um, it's a great way to learn different styles from around the world because I got to watch how each person would sort of perform a little differently. They had their own flair. They had their own bow. Uh-huh. Uh, so it, it is really interesting. And I think not only it's a great place to go and perform, you know, you don't have to fill up your schedule with five shows a week because you you're doing just... shows on the boat. The yeah. shows are there for you. Well, I mean, you're already, you don't have to schedule five a week. You're exactly. doing 15. <laughs> you know, the thing that I think is cool, like that's a good part about cruise ships. Right. Is you can go away for six months and just focus on your show. Right. But I think it's great too because you got such a diverse group of people. Of course. Yeah, I'm just. I I always mention how if, if I had the opportunity to do a cruise ship, cruise ship, I'd probably do it, but I would be terrified. So here's the cool thing about the cruise ships too: is they usually almost all of them have really really big high tech theaters. Right. So if you're an entertainer, we saw ventriloquist on the boat, a um, bunch of stand up comedians. They're in these huge theaters, and a lot of the entertainers would work multiple shows. Okay. So we saw these divers. In the DreamWorks Parade. So they had in the afternoons, twice when we were on the boat, a giant DreamWorks Parade. So all the costume characters from Kung Fu Panda and from How to Train Your Dragon and Madagascar were walking around the boat and they had it all to music. And they had dressed up in costumes, dancing and singing. The divers too. And the other dancers. So, you know, if you're doing one role on the ship, you're going to be in a bunch of different shows. Right. And I, I think that's a cool thing, too, is you really get to sort of diversify your skill set. Right. 
Uh, and the other really cool thing is, if you are a magician and you want to have a cast of dancers in your show, guess what? The cruise has that. And the cruise is going to help you sort of design your show specifically to that theater. Mm-hmm. So it's a really cool thing about doing cruise ships. Now, I know one of the big reasons I want to go away to Mexico this summer, there's a couple resorts that I want to start working with. And uh, one of the big draws for me is they have a big team of people that will design my audio and visual for the show. So the big screen behind me for the show, they're going to design whatever visuals I want, specifically for that stage and the different resorts in the chain who also have the same stages. They're going to give me dancers to design a whole show around with these dancers. Um, They're going to do my lighting for me. They're going to design my costumes. If I have prop ideas, they have a prop team. It's crazy. So I... Don't know if it's that high of a level on most cruise ships. I don't think it is. You you have to have your show and then you can add in the additional lighting and the dancers. Um, But I think that's a cool thing to look in if you're looking to expand your show is looking at different places that will help you expand your show. I mean, that's what we're always doing, right? We're always looking for different places and people that can help us. So those are a few of the really cool things I thought about the cruise. Now, when I go and I watch live entertainment, I always want to try to look... See, okay, there's something I can implement in my show. Of course. From everything. Of course. So I went and I watched. I'm like, you know what? I really just want to work on the music of my show. And they had a kid's dance party with, like, the lemur king from Madagascar. Normally, I want to go to that show. It's a kid's dance party. There's, you know, a host who's talking, and then she dances with the lemur. And it's right. just the kid's music. But I went to sit down, and I'm like, okay, they obviously have a great mix of kid music here. Maybe there's a song that I never thought of using of course. You know, or a really funny little dance move that's easy for the audience to copy that I could do. So I went and I watched a ton of shows like that. Now, how I take notes for my show is a little different. I used to text myself all the time. I'd get an idea, I'd see something, and I would text myself, um, which is the same as opening up the notes in your phone and writing down a note. Yeah. But what I started doing now, even when I'm writing scripts, is I just film it's so much easier to film something and you know don't even worry about the note taking till later now you have everything on film you can pause go back rewind and watch it because i know there's tons of things i wish in the past i could go back and watch now that i can't because i didn't film it all i have are the notes that i took so even when i'm scripting a show a magic show let's say for example I, I don't want to try to follow my script so much. I want to perform my routine a few times in front of a camera. Right. And then look for the little changes I do each time and find out what works best. Because if you're not following a script 100%, you're going to throw in some improv lines and you're going to see, wow, this line worked amazing. I'm going to put that in my final script. And this part from a different video worked amazing. So you're getting sort of a mashup. So that's the different ways I use videos. And that's sort of what I did on the cruise. I mm. would, you know, try to see as much entertainment as I could and I try to video as much as I could so I could really just enjoy myself be in the moment and then go back and take notes later so that's one of the big things I sort of worked on during the cruise and it was just a nice vacation right usually when I'm at a resort basically every year uh in the Christmas time uh, winter season time when I go away I'm, I'm performing when you escape Canadian winter when we escape that freezing cold Canadian winter when I'm still jealous yeah I make sure to Snapchat Emil pictures of the sand every day. That's that's true. He he does do that. <laughs> now uh, that's a, that's not a pseudo fact. That's legit. Yes. <laughs> just no context. Just here's sand Emil. Be yeah. jealous. And I sent a bunch of angry emojis. 
so those are really the cool things about a cruise ship. Now, we're going to come back and speak about this in a full episode. I'd love to have a couple performers on that do cruises. Uh, we can speak about the agencies because I'm going for a couple auditions with some of the big agencies that do the majority of the booking for the cruise ships around the world. Right. So I'm going to come back and speak about that in a later episode. Don't want to miss that, so make sure you subscribe to this channel right now so you don't miss anything coming up because uh, we're going to start speaking to a whole bunch of experts. Now, we did a lot of different types of traveling, so I want to speak a little bit about theme parks right now. So I went to Universal Studios Orlando and the Island of Adventure Park, which is its sister park. So Universal owns two parks on the same property. Right. And then we went to Disney World, and we did all four Disney parks. So you got Magic Kingdom, the Animal Kingdom, Epcot Center, and Hollywood Studios. So I just want to speak about the different shows we sort of saw around the resorts, uh, what I thought of them, what you think of them, because I don't think you actually seen any of these shows, have no, you? No, I've never been to Disney World, Land, anything. So Orlando. this is going to be a, a little bit Sad of a Panda. preview, because I think I belong in Orlando. Have you anyone out there ever seen Book of Mormon? There's a song at the beginning. Oh, no. It goes, Orlando and Disney and SeaWorld and putt-putt golfing. I just love Orlando. I sit down or you just love every Book week of and like, watch uh, both. <laughs> <laughs> I'm obsessed with like Disney. I'm the biggest Disney nerd. Mm. So any chance I get to go away to Disney is a dream and a half. Universal also is probably one of my favorite places in the world. Just an amazing collection of rides. And they have the new Harry Potter coaster opening so soon. And they're building a Jurassic Park roller coaster right now, too. The building don't stop. But let's just speak a little bit about the shows. I guess let's start with Universal. Of course. And then we can sort of move over to Disney. So uh, a couple of the shows that really stick out in my mind, and I think that these are where a lot of theme parks excel, are the nighttime shows. Because when you have the nighttime shows, you can really get some amazing lighting in. Because uh, it's dark out, so the lighting is actually visible. You can get some amazing projection mapping. Now, projection mapping is when you're projecting images onto an object. Whether that's buildings, whether that's a box. So what it makes it look like is that these buildings are moving. So you could project the overlay of a building. Let's say there was right. a, a pizza shop. Okay. So I would project basically exactly what that pizza shop looks like. But then I can make it look like the window's falling off because it's programmed oh, directly to the wall. Okay. Or I can make it look like, you know, the whole building's morphing or falling apart. So huh. that's a really cool thing about projection mapping. Um, and you can really use that, and a lot of the theme parks use it. Even our local park here, Wonderland, uses that for their nighttime shows. Wonderland projects the mountain, so they'll have all these different things happening all over Wonder Mountain. Right. Really cool. And then you can have the fireworks... And it sort of puts you at the end of the day. You know, you had that great date, the theme park. You had so much fun. It's sort of the big finale. So I think a lot of theme parks really work towards their night shows. And I think that's sort of the star of theme park entertainment is their night shows. Right. Now, Universal has two major light shows. Uh, one of them they change every so often, and that is the one in the Hogwarts Castle. So Universal okay. Studios has um, the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. So they built Hogsmeade. Um, in Islands of Adventure, and then the Hogwarts Castle, which is an amazing ride inside the Forbidden Journey, which I'm obsessed with. I'm not obsessed a Harry Potter with. guy. I love Doesn't magic. Matter. It's just so fun. I'm like a little kid. I got the biggest smile on my face just speaking about this stuff. Uh, yeah, that's, that's true too. 
Um, so that show's cool because they change it every so often. When it's Christmas, it's a Christmas overlay. So you're seeing, you know, wizards fly on the brooms around the castle. They're using tons of projection mapping all over Hogwarts Castle. Right now, they're changing it over to a dark arts show, which is going to be super cool. So you're going to see, you know, uh, uh, what, are the, what do they call those things in Harry Potter that fly? The Dementors. You can see like Dementors flying around the castle. And I you know, Voldemort's giant face appear and dragons. So that's going to be amazing. And then my favorite show at Universal is the night show they do at Universal Studios. Okay. So they do this in the lake right at the middle of the park. And I never got to see the show for years. Me and my brother would go up. We did four years in a row at the Halloween Horror Nights. So we'd go up every October for the haunted houses in Orlando. Okay. We haven't gone the past two years. Just been super busy in the month. But whenever we went up for the Halloween, the show was always closed. So going up last month, this was the first time I got to see this show since I was a kid. And I was way too happy and way too giddy the whole time. Like there might have been some tears shed. I don't know. I'm not that big of a loser. Okay, maybe I am that big of a loser. I am that big of a loser. There were tears shed. <laughs> it was an amazing show. So basically, in the lake, they would spray up these fountains of water. Okay. So imagine a big fan of water. And they would project onto these water screens, which you could call them now, because it's like a giant screen of water, images. So you'd see across this long lake, you know, a water jet would uh, pop up and you'd see uh, Toothless from How to Train Your Dragon flying. And as he would go across the water jet another jet would pop up so it looked like he'd fly across the whole lake and they had it all themed to their different universal movies so you know jaws would come you hear the jaws theme song you see the shark being projected all over the water all the buildings around the water are projection maps to the show so it's this huge immersive just unreal show See, wait, wait, people can't see this, but I have a really mad, envious look on my face right now. <laughs> I want to go. Good, make that like a determined face. Be like, we're going to go next month. Oh, we totally are. We're okay, to- it's done. We just planned it. There we go. Any entertainers out there want to join us at Disney World or Universal? Let us Disney, know. Disney, 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 Disney. Okay, let's get back to Universal. All right. <laughs> the Mouse House will come soon. So I, I think these night shows are really cool. The reason I want to speak about these is because I don't think a lot of people get to see them. Because you can't go to a theater and really see a type of show like this. I think the closest thing you can get to a night show in a theater is Blue Man Group. Yeah. Blue Man Group, you know, they have, let's just take their ending routine. So their ending routine is they start singing a song song about shaking your booty. They start singing a song? They shing a shing a song. So they start singing a song about shaking your booty. And they just say booty in like 400 different ways. And they get dancing on stage. And they have big screens of these robots dancing too. Then all of a sudden... Out of the walls, these giant sort of fabric-y snake things come out, and they're waving over the audience, and these giant light-up balls drop from the roof, <laughs> and they're shooting, like, toilet paper all through the audience, and then this giant puppet comes out, and the whole theater's all lit up, and it's like a big party, and I think that's the closest thing you can sort of get to a night show. And I think that's something that there's not enough of in the entertainment industry. It's sort of those big, fun, colorful shows. Right. There's a clown. If you're an entertainer, I think this is super worth looking up. Slava is a clown, S-A-L-V-A. I might be spelling that slightly different, but if you look up Slava the Clown, you'll find him. And he would do these, his tour is called Snow Show, and he'd been doing the same show for like 30 years. He's this old Russian clown, it's barely in English, and this guy sells out theaters around the world. He was in Toronto a couple months ago, he did like 10 shows here. Tickets were like 80 bucks to go. Wow. And this is a clown, this is a clown. And I think he got close to selling out most shows. That's and impressive. that's with minimal advertisement. You know, like, I really didn't see much advertisement out there. I just knew he was coming to town. 
So what this guy does? Clown is coming to town. Slava la 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 la. Woo! So basically, this guy would just like cover the audience in like ridiculous amounts of confetti. It's and this is the thing. It's for adults, right? A lot of the time, we think this is something for kids. I think people could even confuse Blue Man Group if they haven't seen it for something that's for kids. But this type of fun, colorful, funny, silly, over the top party of a show is something that works for everyone and I think that's something that's not around as much well yeah so I would em- employ any performer out there to look up these shows on YouTube anything I say right now you can find on YouTube you'd employ them you'd pay them to, to look it I'd, up I'd pay you all the money in the world because I love you all Aww. let me give you a job so hey, start um, with me <laughs> <laughs> no Emil you get pizza after each episode that's it it's the only pay I'll take it we're co-hosts and for some reason I just offered to pay for the pizza I'll take it take that back but I think uh, it's something that we could implement into all of our shows a little more. Even if it's just in your pre-show or when you're doing an illusion on stage or if you're a singer. Just to work on your lighting a little more. Say, okay, how can I make this feel bigger? How can I make this feel more like a party? How can I engage my audience more? Shooting toilet paper into an audience full of adults. They're all jumping up and down grabbing it. Or when these big balls are falling down into Blue Man Group and they're pushing them up. You see all the adults pushing each other over just to hit a ball into the air. Yeah. Like, people love being engaged. And I think that's something that all of us can work on more is just engaging and sort of having this big, fun, colorful party. And I think that's something that we can sort of learn from these night shows. Whether we can't use the projection mapping technology, but the vibe it gives out. Well, I mean, like, those kind of shows, they're so absurd that people just kind of don't know how to react to it except by joining, you know? Uh Uh-huh. There was a study done like an experiment where they got a guy to dance in a club like really randomly mm-hmm. and at first everyone was looking at him really weird and like by the end of like a certain time like a few minutes everyone would just joined him and was doing that same dance like people feel inclined to join in on things that seem absurd 100% it's like human I don't know why it's like a human thing it's just a reaction it's psychological mm-hmm. and it's it's sort of the group mentality right yeah. you can find examples of this anywhere in the world you can find examples not in entertainment of course. Um, it's like bandwagoning even in sports, you can say. Bandwagoning right? in anything. You know, once everyone falls in love with the Maple Leafs again, you know, you're going to jump on that bandwagon too. Let's go Leafs! Let's go Raptors! You know? um, I even saw a great example of this at Tony Robbins. Okay. Uh, a show. So this was in Toronto maybe three years ago now. And he was at the International Center. And there was like 10,000 businessmen there. It was a real estate and wealth expo. Uh, I'm not in real estate, but there's always things to learn oh, but in different in industries. I am in wealth. I like the <laughs> money, money, money. Money, 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 money. No, but it, I just even basically I think I went, one of the main reasons I went is they had a couple of Shark Tank guys on there just speaking about how, you know, their mindsets are. It's mostly the, the things I try to take out, things like that is mindsets. Okay? Right. Why are you winning? Why are you doing so well? What do you do every morning? What do you do every day? Uh, so the point I want to get with Tony Robbins is Tony Robbins is a motivational speaker if you don't know who he is. He goes in front of audiences. He talks about the physiology of a body. How doing things with your own body can change how you feel. Right. So this guy on stage caught 10,000 guys in suits mm-hmm. to jump up and down like little kids just because everyone was doing it. He's like, you know, we're all going to feel great right now. We're all going to feel amazing. We're all going to do this together. And once, you know, a quarter of the room gets up, the rest gets up. Right. You know, and these are people who came to be lectured. Tony Robbins is the only person like Tony Robbins. Everyone else there that day is speaking. You're sitting for a lecture. So you're already in that mindset of learning, taking notes. So for this guy 
Just by playing a little bit of music and clapping his hands to get 10,000 businessmen dancing shows exactly how this group mentality works. Mm -hmm. If you get a few people having fun, you're going to get everyone in there. And I think that's why it's easier for us as performers to do shows in larger crowds. Of course. Because it just makes it easier. There's more energy there and people hype each other up. Yeah. It's human nature. So I think that's something uh, that we can work on. And something I realized in my own shows, and I, I taught this to the beatboxer I work with. Francis, who is killing the game right now. He's in Montreal this weekend doing a big beatbox competition. Uh, but I told him, I'm like, you know, every minute and a half, do something to your audience that's going to engage them. I don't want anyone sitting there for longer than a minute and a half where you're not getting them to repeat something, you're not getting them to do something, whether it's throwing their hands in the air, whether it's clapping, whether it's screaming, whether it's standing up. Every minute and a half, do something that's going to keep your crowd engaged. Tony Robbins talks about it. He's like, every five minutes, we're going to get up and do a dance. Right. You know? Because once your, your body's going, it makes your mind more alert. So right. making someone physically move is going to make them pay more attention to your show. They're going to get more invested into your show. Um, so I think that's something that, that you can work on and you can look at it in these crazy nighttime shows. Or a blue man group. I, I tell everyone out there, please go up and look up Blue Man Group. Just their finale piece on YouTube. Oh, and you can see great. how all these adults hype each other up. Yeah. You don't have to be like Blue Man Group. I'm, I was doing this well, two years ago when I had you know, myself on stage in a little table. Do mm -hmm. I like to move it? I play I like to move it. And I get everyone in the audience up and dancing. You don't need to have all these big lights to start making these little changes into your own show. And I think that's a really interesting thing that, uh, that we don't speak about very much. Yeah, people, well, like, people don't like to, well, not that they don't like to, people typically don't relate certain things to, like, other things if they don't find a relation, um, which is, I think, really interesting um, from a perform performer's point of view, because we're always looking at other people's performance skills and criticizing them. Instead of finding the good. Instead of finding the good. 100%. And look, I can even, I can find so many examples, I can tell you, you know, in almost every good show I've seen how engagement works like i have a really good friend colin christopher an amazing hypnotist out in edmonton before he gets anyone up on stage he puts on a really hype like a song to hype the audience up of course and before he finds any volunteers he wants to see who's having fun he wants to make sure everyone's engaged so he's going to play music everyone clapping everyone having fun before he even does anything and it's such just a, a little thing and i i told you i spent this the whole past yesterday the whole past yesterday uh oh, working on my like pre-show a million years ago yeah yeah Ages. But just working ago. on my pre-show. Like having a bunch of really fun music that's going to be just so engaging that you're going to want to stay just to hear what song is going to come up. Yeah, next. you showed me that, that track and I was like, yep, I'm never leaving this room. <laughs> um, I'm going to play that all well, the let's time. Speak, let's speak about some other shows. And then we, we can sort of circle back around. Because right. there's so much to cover. Well, like Disney. We talked about Universal. What about well, let's Disney? Let's, let's finish some more Disney. Um, Universal. We only really talked about the night shows. and that's the, the, Those are the best ones, though. They are, but this is what's really good about Universal, and Disney does this too really well, and I don't think a lot of theme parks or a lot of events think the way these two theme parks do. I know Canada's Wonderland used to, and what I'm speaking about is the complete diversity of their types of shows. You're going to go and you're going to see animal shows. You're going to see shows that have to do with playing instruments. You're going to see shows that have to do just with singing. You're going to see shows that have to do with stunts. You're going to see shows that have to do just with comedy. There's such a big array of different types of entertainment at both Disney and Universal Parks. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to go over those shows. And uh, Wonderland even used to do this. I don't know if you knew this, but Wonderland behind what's now Snoopyville, 
Okay. Used to have a dolphin show. There really? was a theater for dolphins there. So what uh, I, I used to do, and Wonderland still does this. You know, they hire the amazing wolf jocks to come in and do a month of shows with their dogs every summer. Hmm. So it's it's just about offering a huge variety of entertainment. And I think a lot of events, you know, if you're an event planner out there, if you're working at a fair, um, you, can, you can help out the fair by showing them that, you know, this would benefit you by having more diverse acts. Um, but let me, let me show you by example. Let me show you what Universal does. So a couple of the shows that I've seen there, first one was Animal Actors. So this right. has completely to do with animals. This is covering family crowds. Um, animal lovers. So they have animals that were in movies or how animals, you know, are trained to be in film. So mm-hmm. how, you know, I would get, you know, a dog to sit or cry or lay down or follow. Is that a thing? Do people like dogs cry? Yeah, like, That's you know, so in, in horror movies, even in The Conjuring. I, I watched The Conjuring a couple of days ago and uh, the dog wouldn't come in the house and he was just crying. That's so sad. Why would you do that to a dog? But uh, they treat the dogs well. I know, but still. It's not like they're whipping a dog. I don't know that. <laughs> so, animal actors, that's one type. They have another show around the park. It's called Beat Builders. This has to do with music. Why well, I think something like this is great, and I've seen shows like this around fairs, um, is because it's on the spot. You don't know it's going to start, and then it just happens. So, Beat Builders, there's scaffolding in the park by one of the buildings, mm-hmm. and there's these construction signs that say Beat Builders on them. If you didn't know what the show was, you would just think this is construction, really. It looks like scaffolding with pipes and buckets, but all of a sudden, you know, three guys climb up the scaffolding and start playing the drums. And they're hitting every single pipe and bucket around. And they're going, ba-da-dun-dun-dun-dun, and pointing to the audience. And the audience will go, hey! And they're doing a musical show. And I think that's just a great little bonus thing to sort of break up the crowds a little bit. Is just throwing in this big, loud musical show in the middle of the street. And why it works so well with music... And why I have Francis, my beatboxer, even open up the shows for me is because you can come in at any point of that show and you won't be lost. Hmm. It's not like a magic trick where you have to follow the whole routine. You can come in at any point in the song and it's just as impressive. Right. Because it's music. Well, so everyone th- relates to music. Everyone loves the music. 100%. You never me- Actually, I met one person in my life who's like, oh, I don't like music. <laughs> and I said, are you a human? And he said, no. And I said, that makes sense. Fair enough. There you go. <laughs> Emil got his robot friends. Oh, he's not. No, it's, I, I met him one, one time. <laughs> <laughs> you freak. Get away from yeah, me. Yeah. I but, like uh, music. <laughs> but you can even see this in a lot of the Canadian fairs. Um, there's the one-man band acts like Bandaloni, who will go up to a busy part in the fair mm-hmm. and just start playing music and gather a big group of people. And that really breaks apart the crowds. You know, and it makes... So sort of the, the day you feel longer. It makes it feel like there's more entertainment because this wasn't something you planned on watching. It's something that popped up. It's like a big surprise. Right. And it's sort of the same reason we all like surprise. It's the same reason surprise parties still happen. Right. You know, for birthdays. Because mm-hmm. people like surprises. So it's a little surprise of a show. It breaks up the crowd. And it's something that you can pull in people from anywhere. Um, so the reason how this could relate to any of your shows out there is just by starting your show with something really musical. Um, and you see this with a lot of magicians. A lot of magicians will start their show by doing something with music before they even talk because someone can come in at any point in that first three, four minutes and just watch. They don't have to follow what you're saying. There's no half sentence that they missed. 
Yeah, but I wouldn't call that necessarily a rule of thumb. I wouldn't say it's a rule of thumb. This is all case to case. It depends on your style of performance and the tone you want to set. Like, I know a bunch of performers that they start their show by literally just standing in silence and gazing at the crowd. For sure. Different things work. Yeah, and that's powerful because it creates the sense of mystery and wonder, like, what's about to happen? Is he okay? Like, you know, like, people pay attention. They're like, okay, something's about to go down. Uh, obviously, music helps. Depend- again, it depends on the tone you want to set for your show. And what you're doing. And what you're doing, which is part of the tone. <laughs> exactly. So what we're trying to do, basically, by telling you all these different types is give you a bunch of different things to think about when you're writing your show, when you're performing your show, or when you're reviewing it, seeing what changes you want to make. Yeah, Because there's so much different types of entertainment out there, and there's always something you can learn from every type of show. Every show you do, a good rule of thumb, speaking of rule of thumbs, is record it, review it, and then hate it. (laughs) Because what will end up happening is uh, no one criticizes a performance more than the performer, right? Mm -hmm. And so when you're going back and looking at it, you can hear and see the reactions that maybe you thought were different or maybe you might have missed during the show because you're focused on what you were doing. And it's just a good way to take a step back and see what went wrong or what went well mm-hmm. and just go over the entire thing. 100%. Yeah. And it's great. And I, you know what? I actually was speaking to a few magicians uh, this past week. And he asked me, he's like, how often do you film your show? I say, oh, I don't usually get to film it. I don't have someone there. I usually film it about you know twice a month. I'll get Francis to go up and take some videos. I'll take some videos with him. He's like, that's I bet I know exactly who asked this. He's like, that's BS. He's like, you could film every show. And I'm like, how? He's like, why can't you just get a tripod and set up your phone? You can't leave your phone leaning on anything? I'm like, well, you're, you're right. But you you're use, 100% right. But you use your music, uh, your phone for music and sound. Easy enough to get an iPad, anything that Fair records. Enough. He says, the camera's 50 bucks, crappy camera, they're just going to film you. It's just for you to watch. He's like, you should film every single show. That's true. And you can always just see things. It's the same thing I do with script writing. Right. But I haven't really thought about doing it for a show. And that's something that I'm like, wow, you're right. I should be doing that. And I think that's a change I'm going to make. I'm going to try to start idea. filming every yeah. show. Because I know when I used to, when I started doing shows at Wonderland, I mean, my brother were doing like four shows a day. Uh, we attached GoPros to the stage and we were mm-hmm. filming. But it, it sort of just faded off over time. I right. never really thought about filming my show again. Huh. And that's something that uh, I would suggest almost anyone do. Right, of course. If you're doing anything. Because what that does is it gives you perspective. It gives you the audience's perspective. And at the same time, you see how they're reacting. Mm-hmm. At, least you, at the very least, you hear it. That's a huge thing, too. Uh, even filming the audience. Because... A lot of the time, you're not going to be fully paying attention to the audience. You're in performance mode. So going back and seeing when people smile, when people laugh, you know, okay, that works. This part, people aren't laughing for a minute here. People are looking a little, you know, edgy, getting a little... Trying to leave. Yeah. So then, you know, okay, I need to change this one minute here. Yeah. But let's let's get back to, to these shows. So we talked about an animal show. So animals work really well, I think, right now. I didn't even really talk about putting animals into your show. Now, I know personally I want to work with dogs. I want to do some magic with dogs. Why do I want to do magic with dogs? You know, they say in film, never work with animals or children. That's the two things that I do want to work with. Um, And that's because animals, I think, are becoming so big and so mainstream. You see so many... Becoming, they already are. 
but I think even more, just like magic, I think is on the rise right now because right. of shows like America's Got Talent. Yeah, I think it's the same with dogs. You know, we had a dog act win America's Got Talent a couple years back. Did it win? It won a dog act won America's Got I Talent. Um, you're seeing more companies that have dog shows pop up all the time. Mm-hmm. Me and my dad were agents. We have an entertainment agency, right. so we see different types of shows, you know, popping up. We go to the conventions where all these shows are selling themselves to different events and fairs. Right. So we see what's new and what's popular and what there's a lot of. And animals are 100% on the rise. I'm not even going to say just with dogs. Um, even exotic animals. We see a bunch of exotic animal companies come and set up booths at fairs and do stage shows at fairs. Mm-hmm. Because people just love animals. It's the same reason people go to a zoo. So if you can sort of mix the two together, I think that's just a really cool thing that not a lot of people are using. Right. Um, this is a really funny story. Let's share a funny story by this magician, Kevin James. Do you ever hear about his China dog story? I do not know his China dog this story. This is a great story. So Kevin James is an amazing magician, not the actor. Um, Kevin James, he has a bunch of original illusions, and he's known around the world for his original illusions. Okay. So he was doing a big tour in China, and he spoke about this, and he said, I wanted to do something with dogs, with mm. eating dogs. He said that's a big part of their culture. Is so it? He, I thought that was just a stereotype. No, well, I'm going to just say what he said. Well, okay, I, fair. I'm paraphrasing, but this is basically the story. So he wanted to do something with dogs. So this is what he did. He brought up this big box on stage. And he got a lady to come up on stage. This lady was a plant. So she was part of the show in the audience. And then he brought out this huge pipple onto the stage. And this dog's barking. And he has on a leash. Mm-hmm. He puts the dog into this box. He asked the lady to go look. Once the lady goes to the door, he pushed her inside the box and closed the door. Now you see this big box on stage that now has the lady from the audience and a dog in it, a vicious dog in it. Shake like crazy. You hear the dog barking and everything. He goes to open the door back up and there's a lady dressed in the exact same clothes as the first lady, but a hundred pounds heavier. So a big fat lady in the box holding a bunch of dog bones and fur. That's so funny. (laughs) And uh, I thought that was really funny. But, uh, that's just a way you can use animals. There's so many different ways. And I think there's something that's not a lot of in shows. So that's something really cool with animals. With the Beat Builders, that's the music. Now they have other musical shows at Universal, like the Blues Brothers shows. So that's music I'm from the movies. Man. So that's giving someone something recognizable. It's the right. same reason we love to go to concerts by people we know. We love what's recognizable. Right. So when I was working on my pre-show yesterday, I wanted... You know, I had a lot of music I liked. A lot of music I thought was you know, hyping the audience up, and it was. But I wanted the music to connect to the majority of the people. Right. I wanted music that is so mainstream that you know everyone knows. Mm-hmm. So whether it's big popular movie scores, like a remix of the Star Wars score for a few seconds, or the Indiana Jones score, it's throwing in a remix of Under the Sea from The Little Mermaid, or, you know, the high school musical, we're all in this together. A good remix of that. All in you know? this Just songs that are super recognizable. So I think really? that's something cool that the Blues Brothers does. It gives you something recognizable. Music, you know, from the movie. Right. Now, another show they have at Universal is Fear Factor. So it's the same reason all of us are fascinated by stunts. You'll see a ton of stunts and circus acts at fairs. And that is, you know, running around in the ball on the giant axis that spins around right. or climbing up poles and doing hand balancing or driving the motorcycles around in the domes. You know, people love that danger and that's something that the fear factor brings. What's really cool about fear factor that I'd love to think of a way to do this in my own show one day is they put the audience 
in the danger. So yeah. it's not it's not stunt actors performing the Fear Factor show. It's audience members. It could literally be you. Yeah, so they have an audition. This is how it works. So two hours before the show, an hour and a half before, they have a booth and a lineup you go to audition. So they look for, I think, six people. Uh, you got to be a certain weight. They show you the safety videos, what you're going to do. Uh, they go through training and do an hour of training with you. Okay. The show starts and you perform all these stunts. You know, you're hanging up in the air and you're rock climbing walls and you're climbing over these cars suspended over the, you know, the, the stage. Oh, okay. And I, th- I think it's a really cool dynamic saying... No, this is a, it was a little more dangerous right now because it's not actors. It's right. the audience. So I'd love to think of a way to still put the audience in like a huge thing of danger. Some, maybe it's an escape. Whoa. Maybe it's an escape that the audience member does or something like that. I think that's a cool thing to think about as a performer, as a magician or an escape artist. Finding a cool way to that, make the audience more in danger instead of saying, okay, I'm going to escape this or a giant spike's going to come through my face. You make it seem like they're in danger. Seem like it. Yeah. Obviously, you never clear, want to put clear, anyone. Clear that up, please. <laughs> yes. Um, but I think that's a really cool thing to think about, too. And the last show that I saw at Universal was the Horror Makeup Show. So what this is, is you go and you sit in this room. Uh, in the pre-show waiting room, it's all horror memorabilia from Universal's histories. So the mm-hmm. classic monsters, you know, Frankenstein, Dracula. You got uh, molds of the monster from The Thing, you know, the alien. Oh, you have okay, all these it. different mo- They have the Chucky doll there. It's all universal horror monsters. Right. You go into this theater, and it looks like a little bit of a laboratory. Once again, this is all on YouTube. And uh, this really goofy host sort of comes out. And he's... It's just really over-the-top comedy, and he's speaking about the world of horror movies and how they do all these horror special effects in movies. Mm-hmm. So he gets the girl up from the audience... And he puts her arm out on the table, and he takes a knife, and he starts cutting into her arm. And, uh, you know, it looks like it's going through her arm, then he shows that there's, like, Wait, a slit in the knife. let me stop you for a second. Why'd you just grab my arm? Because I wanted to hold your hand, Emil. What's well, so like, wrong with that? It's a scary show. You try to demonstrate what they do, and, like, no one's watching. It's a podcast, Aaron, not a video. I forget. But it's anyways, okay. I forget. they're taking... A lot of things cool about this show is they're taking horror themes. Right. And they're playing it for a complete family audience. And it's not just horror themes. They're showing horror. By horror, I mean blood. They're showing, you know, guts. They're showing mm-hmm. ripped off body parts. But they're doing it in such a comedic way that it really does work for families. And appropriately. And I that's think impressive. That's, that's, that's a really do. interesting thing. And I think that's something I haven't seen anywhere else. I do gore shows in October. I have my kill show. So we, we performed that at Screamers. We performed it for over 10,000 people within the month. And that's more adult themes, but I think it's really cool if you can take a show that's meant for adults, something that's scary by nature, and make it something more family-friendly. And I don't think it has to be horror-related even, maybe like a a murder mystery type of way. You make a whole show around a murder mystery. I I don't know, but I just think it's a really cool idea taking something that's genuinely for adults and making it for family. Right. So I think that's something Universal does well. I'm going to go over just all the shows. Those are the shows I've seen when I was there. We'll go over them all one more time, and then we can move over to Disney. Mm-hmm. So they have the nighttime shows, the Hogwarts Castle Cinematic Spectacular Celebration. Those are really cool to look at, adding some lighting, some fun, some energy to your shows. Animal Actors is really cool because you get to see how they use animals in entertainment. I think that's something that a lot more people should be utilizing in smart ways and safe ways. Uh, Beat Builders, a great music show. Something that someone could walk in at any point. Right. So that's maybe something to even think about that's interesting. is If you're doing a fair, how long are your routines? Mm-hmm. Are you doing you know, 
four eight minute long routines mm-hmm. or you're doing you know a bunch of two three minute routines where someone walks in at the second minute of those eight minutes are they going to understand the rest of those six minutes right you know what i'm saying yeah so it's sort of interesting to think about okay if someone comes into my show later what's their experience going to be like and I think that's something that I really didn't think about until I sort of thought about these musical shows. Well, the thing with magic is if someone walks in halfway through, um, if they don't understand the current trick going on, they can still get into the next one. Exactly. But how long do you want to make the routines? Right. You know? Like if you're question. doing a theater show, you know everyone. The 99% of people are going to be there before your show starts because it's ticketed, there's seats. But when it's a fair and people are walking around and you can pull people in, then that's sort of the time to think about, okay, how long do I want to make my routines? Right. What type of events am I mainly doing? If you're a fair performer like me, I do a lot of fairs and festivals right now and public events, like we're doing a big show for the town of Newmarket on Monday. Um, I want these routines to be quicker. Right. I want people to be able to come in at any point and still enjoy the show. So right. it's something to think about when you're doing, what type of venues you're doing and what your show is. Uh, the other show is Blues Brothers. It's really interesting to just look at connectivity how i'm a soul man full cover available on itunes that's spotify and then you got fear factor so i I just thinking about stunts and live shows the danger aspect um and you know you can see that in dance whether it's doing really cool flips or you're do she's balancing on the guy's shoulders or in magic you're doing something with nails and slamming your hands down on bags you know i've seen tons of times they do that spike roulette or night knife roulette where there's five paper bags mm-hmm. and the magician will take an audience member's hand and slam it down on the bags right right that's putting the audience in danger and i think that's something that us as performers could maybe work and think about more because i think that's something cool that i haven't really seen have you seen any other example of an audience being in danger other than that roulette that's the only example i could really think of not that I can recall at the moment. And what's that trick normally used as? Is it an opener? A middle it's a piece? Finish. It's a, it's it's a, a closer. And I think yeah. it's a closer because you're putting the danger in. So I think if you could implement that throughout the show... Well, it's a shock factor. You exactly. want people leaving like, with an emotion. Mm-hmm. So I think that's cool. And then the whore makeup show, just how you can take something from a different medium, adult entertainment, and make it for families. So that really diversifies that show. There's no other show like that in the world. And right. I think if you could do something like that with your own show, bring in material that people wouldn't think about using and make it your own, I think that's a really cool way to make your show stand out. Bring something random like, I don't know, crayons or do something with a piece of paper. Yeah. Whatever, Who knows? Whatever floats your boat. Yeah, make magic. a little boat out of the paper and the crayons and yeah. float that. Now let's talk about the most magical place in the world. Emil, where are we going to talk about? My basement. Now I'm kidding. Disney World. Disney World. What the heck goes on in your basement? It's so magical. Is that what your Tinder description is? Yeah. Hey, make sure to stop at the most magical place in the world. My basement. Hell yeah. Now, um, there's a whole bunch of Disney shows. There's way too many to talk about. So, um... We just picked a few of the main ones, the ones that most people who go to the parks see uh, that are talked about the most and that I think are the, the highlights of the parks. We wrote down about seven or eight shows we're going to speak about. Uh, the first one was one of the, the first shows I remember seeing as a kid was the Indiana Jones Stunt Spectacular. You ever heard of that show before? I've heard of Indiana Jones, not the rest of the park. So this was one of the first big attractions they added to Hollywood Studios after opening the park. Okay. So Walt uh, Walt Disney, the man himself, always... The man, loved, the myth, the legend. 
Exactly. Now, he always loved movies, film, obviously, and he wanted to bring that into his theme parks. So when they were sort of designing Epcot, Epcot actually opened after Walt passed, but they were going to have one of the sections in Epcot be for movies, movie-related. Right. But uh, Michael Eisner, who was the CEO, uh, really loved the idea and thought he could expand it into a full park after seeing Universal Studios open a couple years earlier. Right. And seeing the success of their tram tours. So they went and opened a full park called Hollywood Studios. Didn't have a lot of attractions opening, so they wanted to make some big draws to the park. So one of the first things they added was the Indiana Jones Stunt Spectacular. Why their show was such a big draw to the park? A couple different things, I think. Mm -hmm. I think we can relate it right back to the Fear Factor show. Right. It's the danger. Right. Now, something that they do really well that a lot of stunt shows don't do is they bring the spectacle too, which is the fireworks and the fire. And I think that really adds a lot to a show. It's the same as going to a rock concert and you're going to enjoy it more if there's pyro on stage and there's fire going off and there's sparklers going off. I think that's what a lot of bands keep adding to their shows. And that's what I see. You know, when I go on Live Nation and I see tour trailers. Right. And they really focus on, they feature the pyro a lot. Yeah, I once like, got way too hyped at a concert and nearly got thrown out. <laughs> you were there. Yes, that's Mr. Emil. 25 a... pounds, Mr. Emil trying to crowd surf. Trying, yo, I like crowd fly. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anyone even put their hands up. You're just like, bouncing off the heads. Yeah, that's a story for another time, though. <laughs> but yeah, so they, they mix a lot of big draws into the show. Um, another thing they do is the recognizability, right? This opened up in the, the early 2000s. Indiana Jones is not too far from people's memory. Right. It's still one of the biggest movie properties of all time. It's Lucasfilm, it's well, Harrison Lucasfilm Ford. It's Disney now. 100%, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Disney owns the world. So I think they mixed a few things in that show that just work really well. They knew it would be big because it was spectacle. They knew it because it had recognizability. Right. And, uh, and it had the danger. So that's something to just think about. They had so much confidence in that show because of the three things. They thought this show was enough to be a draw to the park. Mm-hmm. So... That's how important, really, live entertainment is to these parks. Of course. Now, another show that we saw there was uh, actually the only show you can see Mickey Mouse in at the Magic Kingdom. Wait, there's only one? There's one show you can see Mickey Mouse in at Magic Kingdom. I'm slightly disappointed. Yeah, but they do the meet and greets. Meet and greets have hour-long lines, so you don't know if you want to wait for a meet and greet. No, I definitely don't. Um, But, yeah, it's called Friendship Fair. They do it right in front of the Cinderella Castle. So that's the main castle at Magic Kingdom, the one you see at the intro of all the Disney movies. And basically, it is Mickey, Minnie, bunch of Disney characters. They have some of the characters from Princess and the Frog. They have the Frozen characters, um, a whole bunch of different characters. And they're singing songs from the movie mm-hmm. and an original couple songs they made just for the show. Right. Why does it work? Why does it bring in giant crowds? Why is it the only show that features Mickey Mouse? It's because it's bringing recognizable music from different properties mm-hmm. to the audience. The audience right. So you're going right away, you're seeing characters you know, you're hearing music you know. Now, I'm, when you hear me explaining this in the last show, you're going to probably be thinking, well, I can't use Indiana Jones, I can't use Mickey Mouse in my show. What do you mean recognizability? Yeah. There's different ways to bring recognizability to your audience, whether that's talking about topics that they know. You know, you're talking about issues they know. Like, I was working on a, tri- a trick to do in hospitals in Israel. Mm-hmm. And the theme of that was cleaning my room. Because I think a lot of kids, you know, don't clean their rooms. No, they have really messy don't. rooms. So that's another example of recognizability. 
I'm just talking about it how Disney does it on the large scale. Right, of course. But Disney, they have a lot of advantages compared to hundred percent. But this show, this show too. No, they have some fireworks at the end. No big sets. No big show pieces. It's just the characters singing and dancing. Huh. And that draws in massive crowds, and they do that about every hour, or wow. every hour and a half. And, uh, yeah, it's just a really great, fun show, and it's because they use the music and the recognizability so well. Another show that I saw, and I guess we can link a few of these together, um, is let's link the Beauty and the Beast show together okay. with um, the Finding Nemo show and the Voyage of the Little Mermaid. Okay. All three of them are based off Disney cartoon Obviously. movies. Two of them are based in water. Yeah. Um, all of them use puppets. Okay. Beauty and the Beast, much less than the other ones. This is a really cool thing. I Was it like hand puppets? or like... Let me tell you. A black art puppets. Okay. So that is having characters dressed in black, and their puppets are usually painted in neon. So okay. they stand out more. So they use that a lot in the Little Mermaid show. Um, and they use that in the Finding Nemo show. The whole show is done with these giant fish puppets. Hmm. Now, what is sort of the same in the, well, stands out even a little more in the Finding Nemo show is sort of stunts. They have the actors flying around, so they're mixing that in too. But I think a really cool part of these three of the shows is how they use these characters as puppets. Right. Now, I've been speaking to uh, you know, some different entertainers, and even me myself, I want to get more into using puppets in a show. I think that's okay. a, This is more for kids. This is if you're into kids' entertainment. I think this is something to think about. When you're speaking about some topics to kids, and I think Mr. Rogers is the best example of this. God bless us. Mr. Rogers would speak about adult subjects or subjects that aren't as easy for kids to connect to. You might have topics like that in your show. Now, how Mr. Rogers got that across to kids is you would use puppets. It's not just Mr. Rogers speaking, it's these puppets speaking to the kids. So these kids have something funny and silly to look at. And I think uh, sometimes... You know, it's the same reason why movies like Coco are so important. It's because right. you're seeing sort of yourself in it, you know, for the Mexican culture. Or right. so amazing that you know, Wonder Woman came out and Captain Marvel because now these girls have someone to look up to. Right. And sometimes when you're watching just a bunch of adults on stage, there's not much to connect to. If I go up on stage in a suit, like, how are kids going to connect to me? But I think puppets are a really interesting way to sort of connect with kids. It's something new I'm sort of thinking about, but that might be something for one of you out there to think about. Maybe you have a really cool idea and you just don't know how to present it. Um, and puppets are just a great way. And it's adding something to your show. If you can go out and learn a little bit of ventriloquism, uh, just pulling up the ventriloquist alphabet. So, uh, Does the Greek uh, for, alphabet help? For ventriloquism, there's some letters that you can't say okay. with your lips closed. So you change them to sounds. Okay. So that's how ventriloquism works. So it's uh, Today I learned. Yeah, so even just going out and learning that and seeing if puppets are something you want to do, it doesn't even have to be through ventriloquism. Right. Right? Just using puppets instead of yourself to do the trick. Can I just throw a puppet in the air? Uh, yeah, you could throw a puppet in the air, you know? My dad had a rubber chicken. He'd pull it on stage. and be like, hey, he wants to see a chicken fly. And he'd just throw it into the audience. That's <laughs> funny. Um, I kind of just want to do that in a random room filled with people I don't know. Hey, who wants to see a chicken fly in the air? Everyone's in silent, just silent. Chuck Boom. it. That'd be fun. And you know what? See, that's another good example of taking something from a kid show and bringing it over to an adult show. 
I think you could pull nice. that off so well with a university crowd. If you're like yeah. saying all these dirty jokes, you pull out a rubber chicken. <laughs> you want to see who, it's just so ridiculous. Who wants, see, who wants to see some rubber fly through the air? Oh, Emil and his condoms out of the years. <laughs> <laughs> um, another show in Disney that does the, uh, puppets really well. Now I'm actually sort of starting to see this. Uh, we sort of thought about the shows we want to talk about before this, but we didn't really know what in the shows we want to talk about. So this is all just us reacting to the first time. But uh, another big show in Disney was The Lion King. That I saw The Lion King celebration. Uh, uh, what was cool about this show is they used tons of puppets and tons of acrobats. Wait, do I get no credit for my Hasavenya? Well, I just didn't want to embarrass you, so I was just hoping no one else heard you sing that, and I was just going to ignore it. So I shouldn't tell them that they can find it on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Music? Check out Emil Daniel, Canada's yeah. top magic singer. Exactly. And only, that's why he's the top. Exactly. You're also the worst. Um, and the best. I know, that's why. You're good. Yeah, thanks. You're good. You're in a good spot right now. Thank you, thank you. But in The Lion King, I think it's it's interesting because they're mixing a whole bunch of different mediums again. You're doing large puppets, you have live singers, and you have live acrobats. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of making it like a Cirque du Soleil type of show, which I think is really cool. Um, and that's something that they do in a lot of their shows. So if Disney's doing it, I think that's something that a lot of us can think about doing too. Um, and yeah, those are the, the main shows that, that I've seen at Disney. Mm-hmm. So, like, um, the Lion King one. Do you want to, like, go more in depth about it, or do you think you... Well, I think you can sort of group those in. I think the, right. the examples from Universal it was sort of a better example, because there's more diverse. Now, Disney, Disney, every single one of their shows works really well for everyone in the family. That's right. why it's good that for the Lion King show, for example. For the kids, they're going to be hooked in right away to the music. For the adults, they're going to be hooked in right away, maybe the nostalgia of the music. But if not... For sure. But if not that even, so you don't even know the movie, they got the live acrobat. So there's making right. sure there's something for everyone. Let's go even farther back to the um, Nemo show, to the Fighting mm-hmm. Nemo show. If you don't, it's all original music for that show. So they wrote a bunch of music for that show. Oh, like so you're not going to be recognized to the music. It's the characters. Right. If you don't know the characters, you still got this amazing puppetry and stunt work going on that you can be hooked into. Right. It's always making sure there's something for everyone. It's mixing genres together. Like, if you're, you're, let's say, a serious mentalist and you go out on stage, don't make every trick a mind-reading trick. Try to make one more fun. Try to, s- to sort of uh, switch it up with different genres. Hmm, well, add, like, in, add in, maybe, maybe it's something I don't know. with music. You know, like you're sending subliminal messages through music or... Subliminal? Subliminal. Subliminal. Yeah, that's a tough word. Mm-hmm. Nah, but also, like, I've seen some shows where there are performers, they'll do the key, the same thing over and over again. People like it. And it was like mentalism, mind reading type Of course, thing. if you're a professional, that means you're doing something right. Of course. But we're speaking here just about how to elevate. Right. And different ideas to think about. Maybe you'll leave this Doesn't whole work. podcast without adding anything to your show or making any changes. Hopefully but at least, not. <laughs> but at least now, when you see a live show, you can think about it a little differently. Yeah. You can say, okay, what different things are they excelling in this show doing? Why is the show working and why did, you know, let's say you're at a fair. Why did this fair buy this show? Right. Why do they want that show there? And that's what I think about when I see live shows. And that's what I'm trying to get you guys to think like. Um, it's just when you see live shows, why is it there? Why is it working? What are they doing that works? And how does that relate to the different crowds they could have? And to anyone that thinks they might not have taken anything out of this episode, shoot either of us a message on any social media. He's Aaron Matthews Magic. I'm a meal more like dessert. 
and just let us know why you think you know what we can improve on. Hundred percent. We'd love to hear your feedback. Just like uh, all of you, we are learning every time we bring up something. We're learning, and just by speaking back and forth right now, I'm I'm picking up things on the shows that I never even thought about before. Yeah, like filming it. Hundred <laughs> percent. You know, <laughs> like something like I'm. I'm just saying, like something as simple as that can do wonders for any one show. Hundred percent. Yeah. I think that's a good note to leave it on. Uh, yeah, I do too. Uh, I let's, let's sort of just do a little recap of everything we spoke about. So we started talking about New York and the magic scenes over there. Yeah. Um, if, you, if you live in a different city, I, I would be really interested to hear about how the scene for magic is where you are. Yeah. Because it, it's sort of really interesting to, to hear about how it's different in each city. Because each city does their shows a little differently. Like in Toronto, the Toronto Magic Company does sort of seasons of shows. So they right. did their Art of Magic shows. They did that nine times. Now they're doing a completely different type of show. Um, so that's sort of how it works in Toronto. Uh, in New York, they have you know Broadway magic shows on Broadway. They have in hotels. Hotels have their own little shows. Yes. They have you know magic dinner shows. So that's something we don't really have here in Toronto. So I'd love, just like uh, Emil said, message us on social media. Please message us. Let's have a conversation. Let's Skype. Let's talk. Yeah. And... Uh, Let's become friends. Yeah. Maybe we'll go to Disney together. Then we spoke a little bit about cruise ships. We're going to do a full episode on that coming up. Um, just about how to get into the cruise ships. We spoke about how diverse it really is on the cruise yeah, ships. Yeah, we spoke about puppets. We spoke about Disney. Yeah, and just how you know Universal structured their shows that each show is going to appeal to everyone. And they have right. such a different diverse type. So... Uh, Go back, pull up on YouTube all those shows we said, especially from Universal, because I think those are some great examples. Um, or better yet, go to those shows. Yeah, if you can. Yeah. Bring me with you, <laughs> please. Smuggle me. Um, and just to just see how they connect to people, what they do that's different from other shows, and why they're unique. Thank you so much for listening. This was the Entertain Us podcast with an exclamation mark because we're exciting. So exciting! My name is Aaron Matthews. My name is Emil Daniel. And you're our friends. Toodles. Bye.